Welcome to our second series of Swirls Got You Covered. Swirl Global is a community of swimmers, advocates, parents, teachers, athletes and much more that focus on bringing inclusion and community to the world of aquatics. We specialise in bringing education, support and resources like sensory swim aids, equipment and hygiene barriers for all swimmers. Julie and Zara, thank you so much for being here tonight and coming on the podcast to have a chat about aqua education and everything that you guys are doing. So Julie and Zara, how did you two first meet each other and get together to form aqua education? Julie and I both trained up completely separately because we're in different parts of the country, initially through Birthlight and then the STA. When we first qualified, there was very little training in the UK that you didn't have to travel for, and it was quite a niche market. So we used to, there was a few of us that did the training circuit every year. We would meet up time and time again at these different training events. And from there, Judy and I got chatting and realized that we had a lot of common thoughts, common ideas, about how we wanted to run our businesses, how we wanted to be as teachers, and the different pathways that lead out from swimming that we were both interested in. And how long has Aqua Education been up and running then? Actually, it's been a concept for quite a long time. We've talked about it for quite a few years. We've put a lot of ideas into place. But as an actual business, we took advantage of the pandemic and we started aqua education right at the beginning of lockdown last year. So although we're relatively new, we have been planning and creating for, well, several years. We've just actually just brought the stuff to market over the last year and we'll continue to bring the piles of the stuff we've accumulated over years we'll continue to bring that into the market as well it will be really interesting to see though won't it what people since the pandemic the start of it have actually had time to sit down and gather thoughts and concepts i know we have you've almost got time to let your brain go oh you know this is what we need to do and this is what we need to do and it'll be really interesting to see the amazing ideas and entrepreneurs and businesses that come out of just having time to sit down and actually knuckle down and go there is a niche for this this is what we need I think it's given time people to reflect it's they've been able to step back from really busy lives take a little bit of time out and I mean for us we've been able to evaluate where we want to go with aqua education we've got our other businesses that are running really well they've been established for a long time and they're running really well and it's given us a chance to really digest all the training we've done. We spoke about it extensively over the last year together, which has also helped to embed a lot of that information between the two of us as well. So it's certainly given us the opportunity to, to look at a new direction and move forward with other things, really. It's been, in a way, it was um, a perfect opportunity for us. I think that without aqua education and without that direction, the lockdown for myself and I'm speaking for Julie a little bit because we've spoken about it between us but without having that focus and without having that drive and desire I think lockdown would have been very different for us both mentally and so actually it's been amazing on a personal journey it's great sharing but it's also been something that's really kept us grounded 
when I think the worlds around us were going completely chaotic. We're probably the same though. You know, it's given us focus, it's given us drive, and it's also allowed all our crazy ideas to either be parked or, or not parked. But for me, having something to concentrate on has been, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do. And okay, now I can throw all my energy in that because actually, you know, we've done a lot of, of the business at night, but it's been quite nice because it's just given me focus and broken up the daily routine of going outside for a walk and doing a little bit of gardening or baking you know how much banana bread did everyone bake over the lockdown Uh (laughs) yeah I think the other thing about it is it really helped us reach out to a lot of other people so we're not just delivering courses we're learning a lot from other people as well and it's those connections that you're making all the time and you know the internet makes the world a small place doesn't it It, it's more accessible and I think you can reach a lot more people and just basically grow a business from the way we've been able to that we wouldn't have been able to do had we been in our usual jobs and also face to face I think that's the other thing that's it's created space for an internet space that wasn't there before. I think it's allowed people to really find their tribe which is a little bit harder to do in person sometimes especially if you've got very important but very specific ideas on things. Now one of the things that you two really really specialize in is reflex awareness and reflex integration and you've actually set up a course for aquatic practitioners and instructors haven't you on reflex awareness what can you tell us about that so many years ago we started to observe children in the pool that would do certain things certain patterns and certain sequences that piqued our interest so they would as babies they would do certain patterns of movement And some babies from there would move forward and continue on their journey. And some babies would get stuck, physically stuck, or they would hit a mental wall. And you could see, even though these babies were having the same amount of lessons with the same group of children, were coming up against challenges. And that piqued our interest. Alongside that, we also had our own children that had some challenges that when we dive down into it, we found ourselves in the world of, of reflexes, infant reflexes. And we started a journey ourselves to learn more about that outside of the swimming world. So we are both reflex integration therapists and we both see people on a clinical basis outside of the swimming world. So our knowledge of reflex comes originally from outside of the aquatic environment. But you can't help but interweave when you learn something new that's so profound it's very difficult to keep that in a box outside of the of the swimming world and what we realized was that we were what piqued our interest initially these patterns of movements and sequences were also reflex derived they had foundations in infant reflexes so again we've been toying with the idea for quite a while about how we were going to bring it to market reflexes are something that have a lot of mystique around them a lot of mystery around them or certainly did have when we first started to look at them and even people that have done the reflex integration courses can come out a little bit still confused about the whole thing so julie and i wanted to bring to market bring out to our peers a 
course that would demystify the reflex world for them, but also take away that negative connotation that a lot of people believe reflexes have. Reflexes are a baby's best friend and they allow uh, mobility and through mobility, through movement, lots of magic happens. So we wanted to give people the why reflexes are amazing in their first right, you know, as a baby's best friend how we can use them in the pool and simplify them without people having to go down the route of doing lots of neural homework. It's a case of saying to our swimming peers, our, our you know, swimming professionals, if you have a bit of an understanding about them and if you take your time to really digest them, then they're not something to be worried about and you can play with them. The pool is a playground for them. That I would add to that, that Initially, the course we've written is based around baby and preschool life, but we are very much aware still of how reflexes later present for older children in the pool as well. So we will be coming, we produced a course that is directed for that at a later date because in the water, you move very differently to the way you move on land. And so you can really see how reflexes manifest for children in the water and so we're not trying to turn people into reflex therapists in the water we're trying to make them aware so that they can give a better quality of lesson to the children in the pool if you're aware that you can see an atnr reflex for instance in the pool you can adjust your class to meet the needs of that child who might not necessarily ever swim a perfect front crawl but there'll be some adaptiveness in there that you can put into your class because you're reflex aware so that you become aware and of course the knock-on effect for that is you know you build that child's self-esteem you make them feel better and in the process that affects the whole family unit really if you empower a child in the water it feeds back into the family and it feels back into the rest of their you know what they're doing outside of the pool as well so we're just hoping that people can realize that we're not asking for for therapy we're asking them to become aware so that they can help children who have challenges overcome those challenges by a lot of the practices we do in the pool help reflexes anyway but people are not aware of that and so it's just bringing that awareness to the forefront of people's minds I think is is what we're hoping to do. I think having that awareness is important to make sure that we don't over challenge the children yeah and put unrealistic expectations yeah. on them if you can recognize that perhaps they've held on to a reflex a bit longer than some of their same age peers not all of them then you can make those adjustments, like you said. I think that's that's the, the crux of it. it. You can bring an exercise to the pool and you can bring it in a way that is so inclusive that you don't need to verbalise to the parents necessarily what you're doing or why you're doing it. You can bring a very inclusive activity into the pool that you know, because of your awareness, that it's going to help that one individual child but it's also going to help all of the children because we all have the same blueprint and we all have the same connections that need to be fired and wired. So while you might be helping one specific child by doing it in an inclusive way, they don't feel um, singled out. As a teacher, you don't have to change anything specifically with your vocabulary or with what you're doing. You just offer that one exercise, knowing that it is going to benefit everybody, but 
you're doing it specifically to help one person. And that's very empowering for the teacher as well, because if you're presented with a group of children where, say, out of five, four are progressing steadily along the path that, you know, in your mind, that's where they should be going. And one child is really challenged. If you have an awareness of what might be going on and what I can do to help it, even if you're not hitting it right spot on, even if it's not specific, you're not diagnosing, you're not going, well, that's exactly what it is. If you thought that it empowers you to go, well, I I think it might be this. So I've got a tool in my toolbox for that. I'm going to offer it to everyone and I'm going to see if it works. And it gives a teacher self-confidence and it it gives them some openness. It it allows them to not shy away from that child or make that parent feel like they've got to take that child out of the class or sit on the steps, or give them a different toy. You can offer this inclusive activity with authenticity. You know, you're doing it because you are really trying to be inclusive and you're really trying to help that individual child, but on a group dynamic. It's so empowering as a teacher to have those sorts of things in your toolbox. We typically think about it, Rachel and I, from a sensory point of view, in terms of sensory regulation and having the tools to okay, we're going to do this activity, which just so happens to tick the boxes of alerting, organising, calming, before we move on to the next activity. And that whole inclusive way of directing it to everyone where, yes, it is, the intention is to benefit perhaps that one or maybe two swimmers that really, really need it, but actually everyone in the pool environment, everyone in the class, will get a benefit from it. It's not going to have a negative effect on anyone. So what's really holding everyone back from teaching in these sorts of ways? Do you mean like what's holding people back from teaching like this? Generally, as teachers, do you mean? I think, I mean, I don't see any reason why as teachers we don't incorporate all of these practices. There's no negative reason not to. You're not disadvantaging your other swimmers by doing it it benefits everyone it just might benefit that one swimmer more than the rest of the class so it's something that we should all be taking on board and it's something we should all be incorporating every time we get in the pool is my view I think that is uh, part of the premise uh, probably of yourselves and of Acro Education that we would like to almost elevate swim teachers aspirations beyond the fact that they are just teaching a swim activity it's almost like we are trying to get them to understand that they are really early years aquatic educators and they have to embrace a whole range of different educational aspects and bring it to the pool to be a good swimming teacher you know it's never just a swim lesson is it it incorporates so much more and I think both organizations are trying to really highlight that To give the best to our children, you need to continue with your training, whatever professional development you do, and have a broader outlook and a more inclusive outlook for all the children that are in your classes. I think it would be good as well to raise the awareness to those people that don't work in the aquatics industry, that aren't swimming teachers, that swimming teachers aren't just there to teach your child to swim, that we do tick the boxes in so many other skills in so many other fundamental parts of development and that the pool is really rich with opportunities for development and the environment is so unique in the things that it can provide to a child and then how amazing is it as a parent to kind of have people that just 
teach an inclusive way and don't look at you like you're crazy and they just include your child because if you're sitting there and you've got a teacher that just gets it if you've had a week where you've had a really challenging week with everything that comes with a child that doesn't fit in a box let alone a hexagon box if you just got that one teacher that gets it you can just go swimming and go do you know what for this half an hour as a parent I know that my child is going to have all their needs met and I can just relax and you might not have had that for an entire week because you carry quite a big burden extra mental load when you've got a child that's got additional factors and challenges in life and if teachers start to kind of incorporate or understand reflexes or speech or inclusion even those simplest things can take a massive load off someone without you even realizing i think definitely but this is a growing awareness about how much the water in the early years is benefiting children And I think we've seen that coming out of the pandemic. The swim lesson industry has gone crazy with people trying to get their children back in the pool. And I think, yes, obviously people want their children to swim, but I think that they've really seen the benefit. People have come back to the swimming lessons and gone, we really miss swimming. We missed other stuff, but we really miss swimming. And if that's coming from a whole plethora of people, that's people that have got... One child, three children, neurotypical, neurodiverse, physically able, some form of challenges. It's come from across the board. So I think there is a, a real deep understanding, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I'm not sure. But there is that understanding that, that the water is a place for children and their parents to just let go. I have a child that is challenged physically and uh, cognitively, and swimming was the one place that we could just let go relax and actually if he was spinning around quite a lot and reacting to the water physically no one batted an eyelid because you know that's what children are supposed to do within a swimming pool they're supposed to have fun they're supposed to let go so if we can help swimming teachers to come away from that kind of dogmatic here's my lesson plan i must teach a b c d i must do this on week one week two week three and we can open up the pool to be a playground, not just for reflexes, but for all movement potential to come through, then then we are going to, as an industry, really help to build the foundations for some of these children that would not have had it if they hadn't had water experience. I think the pool's an equaliser, isn't it? It can bring a whole range of children together and it creates inequality amongst them because even children who might be slightly disadvantaged on land have a different can move differently in water so it's a great way to bring a lot of children together who've got a lot of different abilities and actually I find in a lot of our swim classes I've got a lot of children who they've got dyslexia or dyspraxia and other things but they achieve really well in the pool and that is their place where they achieve where they can't achieve perhaps in a classroom but it makes it really inclusive for them because they feel like they're achieving alongside their peers in the pool and it doesn't matter whether they can do in maths or not they can achieve in the pool in a way they cannot achieve in land and I think that makes a massive difference to a lot of families parents children it changes the landscape for them a little bit and they're really tangible results aren't they you know physically being able to see that you can get from point a to point b is 
so tangible for a child and such a boost to their self-esteem. Can I ask, because people are probably listening to this and going, all right, this all sounds great. What's a reflex? And we all know what they are. But can you, for our listeners, just give them a small description of a reflex and what they are? So ultimately, a reflex is a automatic and stereotypical response to stimulation. So baby before it is born must prepare for birth by its body being able to do certain things. And the early reflexes are there to help the fetus prepare itself for birth. How it does that is that certain movement patterns are fired off in the body that will wire the brain. So it creates this map in the brain of certain survival, breathing, feeding movements that need to happen. And then the reflexes are also there to help the baby move down the birth canal. Once they're born, there's another reflex that helps the baby take its first breath. So there are movement patterns within the body that must happen for certain movements to happen that keep us alive. Essentially, the primitive reflexes keep the baby safe in the first year. That's what they're designed to do, to keep the baby alive and keep them safe. And then they will inhibit, mature into postural reflexes, which help us to become upright walk and to move in various ways. It's a brief little outline of what a (laughs) reflex patterns do. So they're designed to keep us safe. They can either mature um, and go to sleep or they might not. And therefore there are some challenges that might develop further along the line. Or indeed, sometimes if people have a traumatic experience like a, a car crash or something like that, reflexes can reappear and most of us are not even aware of it. So reflex patterns are within your body to keep you safe essentially would you say that Zara that they're there to keep you safe and to help with movement development yeah I mean it's exactly that they they, they come in pods so the first set of reflexes are there to get the fetus to move and to react and to progress to the point where they are ready to be born the next set of reflexes help the baby be born The next set of reflexes help the baby survive within the first year of life. And then those reflexes all should go to sleep in the back brain, the reptilian brain, where they sit dormant. And postural control then occurs. And as Julie said, if you have a traumatic event, if something happens to us and the back brain has to kick in to help us survive, then a lot of people will find that even though a reflex went to sleep as a child, it will come back again. And it's there because the body's gone into ultimate shock. What happens with babies is that in an ideal world, these reflexes flow beautifully. Postural control um, occurs through repetition of movement and being moved in water, especially where they are able to really fire out these movements in the water, work against density and resistance and find their own patterns of movement. So those reflexes go, brilliant, I've done my job, I go to sleep. But what happens with some children for lots and lots and lots of reasons is that some reflexes will stick within the body. And it's, that's, when, that's when, as swimming teachers, you may well see certain patterns of movement repeat over and over and over again. And that child, it doesn't matter how much the parent coerces them, helps them, changes something that they do, 
that child will keep going and feeding into that pattern again and again and again. And that is where most women teachers will go, I don't now know what to do. This child, I, I've tried loads of different reasons to get them to float on their back. I've done this, I've done that. But if a reflex is at play, there is nothing you can do or say by using the traditional methods of getting that child to gently, calmly, and through their own body system, float in a relaxed and calm way. Floating on your back, though, and the turning your head reflex, which I don't know what their technical terms are, but like Steph and I were talking about it the other day, wasn't it, Steph? Like when you're riding a bike and you can't turn your head and turn the steering wheel, uh, turn the handlebars. If you, yeah, if you can't turn your head to look over your shoulder without moving the handlebars at the same time. That's the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. That's a really good example of a birthing reflex. So the ATNR reflex should be present prior to birth. So as the baby moves down the birth canal, as the as the head turns, it sends the body into a, a, like a corkscrew motion backwards and forwards or a tick-tock motion backwards and forwards. Once the baby's born, that reflex is very present. When the baby turns and locks, uh, eyes with perhaps a parent then the same side of the body extends and the other side contracts and it's there to create space for the baby to learn how to move in and out of that position so as the head turns and the arm extends the leg extends the other side contracts what that actually does is it swings the baby slightly and that gives the baby for the other arm then to come over. Now, this is a perfect example of a reflex in the water. So if you have a baby in the water and you put a toy or a parent next to them and that baby locks eyes with that goal, with that desire, that side of the body will extend. The other side will contract. And what you'll see is the baby start to turn. If a teacher knows what they're looking for and they give that baby space, that baby will do a complete 180 and roll over with their head quite safely out of the water from a very young age. If that baby is allowed to practice that movement again and again in the water, they will learn how to control it. They'll, they'll slow the movement down. They'll speed it up depending on how much they want that goal. If you then open the space between the goal and the child, once they've rolled over, they'll go, well, hang on a minute. I still haven't got to it. So now what do I do? Well, I'm going to start stretching and kicking because what we've done is we've created space for that baby to work with that movement. So it starts with a reflex but it ends with a very controlled movement. Those children are the children that will be able to move on to, for instance, front crawl breathing fairly smoothly because from a very young age, they've been able to play with that swing in their body. So when as a swimming teacher, you start to introduce, for instance, roll to breathe, they're like, oh, that's dead easy. I just drop a shoulder, I bring my arm over, I breathe and I take it back again or vice versa, depending on whether you're going back to front or front to back. It makes no difference because you've allowed that movement potential to happen right from the word go with a reflex that movement potential stays within the body the difference is that a reflex happens automatically the rollover for front crawl breathing is a, a mastered controlled postural movement but unless you allow babies in and out of the water to experiment and play with these movements they cannot truly master control over them in a smooth relaxed calm way so the body initiates it the cerebellum in the brain goes hang on a minute i like this movement i'm going to store this movement and then the next time they do it it becomes smoother and smoother and smoother so the cerebellum doesn't initiate movement but it does create smoothness 
and the reflexes in the cerebellum in the brain are intrinsically linked. So water is a, a fantastic place for these reflexes to really, really play into it. And this is why it's amazing if you get a baby coming into the pool that perhaps had a challenging birth or has some movement challenges or difficulties you get them in the pool and you allow them to play with this reflex again and again and again then they're going to find movement potential that they cannot find or would not find as early on land i wish more parents had this information as a parent i wish that i knew when my son was six seven months old how important crawling is for example to all the other movement skills that he would develop afterwards and I wish that I knew that if we weren't seeing success on the land if we went into the pool and we did see success there we would still have that foundation that we needed for everything else to grow from but as a parent all I heard was watch out for pincer grip all I heard was here's some play-doh let's do some fine motor skill work completely ignoring that gross motor work that built from all the reflexes that is essential to everything else because we we grow outwards from our core don't we the other challenge is i think that and i don't want it to sound like i'm being judgmental about parents but a lot of children don't move on land in the way that they should anymore so a lot of babies are carried in car seats and remain in car seats they're just transported it's container syndrome isn't it it's from one place to another so they don't get potential to move on land the way they should which is why obviously baby swimming lessons are amazing to get them out of fixed positions on land and in and into the water where they can move in a 3d environment and really experiment with different movement patterns in the water that they potentially or of, of some that they certainly won't experience on land that's the other thing they need to do you know, we have people that live in smaller buildings we have people that don't have gardens so yeah there there are parents that for whatever reason because there are many valid reasons have their babies you know in some form of container but there aren't so many parents that just don't have the safe space to allow those movement opportunities which is why you know bring them to the pool have all the space in the world, have all the support for the body that you need to carry out these skills. I think post-COVID, it's really important that people can get into a pool and access access the water, particularly, you know, baby swim classes, because you are providing an opportunity for overall development in a way that we've missed out on for a whole year and that you can actually help put into some of those milestones that might have been a little bit missed because you haven't been able to do the typical activities you would have been doing in that first year of baby swimming etc. In terms of Covid we don't have to think about babies crawling around on floor and worrying about if it's been disinfected in this you know particularly in this Covid environment or other toys that they're touching there's really great evidence that shows that chlorine does kill the covid all the toys are submerged there anyway they're being continuously disinfected and washed between use anyway and there's that space to stay socially distanced from other people but enjoy an activity that does have an element of socialization parents are 
parents that, that they're quite apprehensive, like they bring in their, their babies to the pool and because the parents haven't been in a social group, let alone the children. So they're quite apprehensive about bringing their kids to the pool, their children to the pool. And again, there's various levels of success. Some children who have really come in and, and have been at ease in the water, meeting a group of people, and some children have not found that so easy on the first few sessions because they've not been socialised for a whole year. So there's a whole lot of different stuff going on in terms of socialisation. But again, I think it's one of the best places they can be because it's inclusive. And, you know, if you're a good swimming teacher, you really nurture your groups, don't you? So, you know, it's a great place to be. Now, before we wrap things up today, there's one thing that I'm really, really desperate to ask and for our listeners to have an awareness about. And that is how important it is to be reflex aware when it comes to child submersion and how important child-led submersion is as opposed to adult controlled or parent-led. Now there is a huge move away from anything except for child-led submersion particularly with the STA I know in the UK but that's not the case globally and it's not the case for where all of our listeners are. Contentious. (laughs) I know, I know, but I feel so strongly about this. I really do. I think it comes away from submersion to a point where we should never do to a child what we would not do to an adult. So there's your first layer. We need to give the babies and children of the world the same respect that we should be offering to other adults and other human beings. So without getting into a a human bashing situation, we need to find a level of respect for everybody, but we should also find a really healthy level of respect for our babies and for our children. So when we're looking at submersions, we need to really have a look at what we understand as being truly child-led and what we think is child-led, but it's really adult-led and what is adult-led. So a true child-led immersion should be where the child has built up layers of connection with the water through experimentation and through play that allows their body to reach forward, dip forward, dip in, let their mouth, nose, face touch the water. And they show, they feed back to the parent through their physical body and through eye contact that they're comfortable with that situation. From there, there should be a natural progression from the child that if they were to reach, for instance, for a toy that was slightly out of their reach and they happen to dip in and immersion, that they assimilate that, they embed that, they work out where they were happy, were they not happy, and it's a true child exploration of the water child-led but really adult-led is where we for instance might say a cue command one two three are you ready and then we initiate the movement by for instance perhaps tipping them forward or, or whatever it might be so it looks like the child is has a choice and it looks like the child wants to go forward for instance but they might not be. And then you've got the other end of it, which is where the child doesn't have a choice through various modalities that that promote the adult instigating the immersion. The problem with it, of course, is that the ones where the children don't experiment, learn themselves and play, you can inadvertently trigger certain reflexes in that baby. And if you do it often enough, that 
reflex will stay within the body habitually every time the adult goes to initiate a submersion. And that can have massive knock-on effects for trust, for attachment, for bonding, for a connection with the water, through their general swim progression and experience. That's a very basic layered system of why we should really let the children experiment and play because we do not want those reflexes triggered. I think what I'd say to add to that is that if you are triggering those reflexes, you are triggering a survival response in the baby, which is going to have a physiological change in them. And so you are, by not giving them a choice and triggering a reflex, you are activating cortisol and adrenaline repeatedly into their system which is going to, later down the line, give them developmental trauma. They're going to be traumatised by the, the situation. They hold it at cellular level and they might not, you know, actually remember the event that gave them the trauma, but that trauma will be held at cellular level and will continue with them throughout a lifetime unless they learn to address it. That's the other problem. I think I just would like to address the fact that so many people out there believe that they need to do submersion with their children to keep them safe but that's not actually the case we can teach lots of safe behaviors we can teach children to float if they fell into the water we can instill that with confidence we can do it through play without ever having to to force that submersion on them without having to cue them that it is possible just because I know so many parents their fear is what if my child falls in they need to know what to do yes they do need to know what to do but we can teach those skills in a very child-led and non-traumatic way yeah the thing is if you if you are teaching a child a forcible submersion the likelihood is that a lot of children will be holding on to a fear. And if you are in a state of fear, you're never going to learn anyway because you're you're back into your survival mode. So you can't learn anyway. So where parents might be thinking they are doing the right thing by using a forced approach, the child's not actually learning anything because they're in a state of fear. So it, it completely overrides what the parent's trying to achieve. And that isn't the fault of the parent. I just no. like to put that out to the listeners. That is the yeah. fault of some industries that are out there to make money out of the fear that parents yes. have. Yes. It's also so, really important to understand as well that falling happens through gravity and it will happen if it's going to happen. It's, that's not the issue. It's the ascension that we, in the swimming world, we need to be focused on it. That it's the movement up through the water and that gentle playing with the buoyancy and allowing the body to understand that it is a buoyant object. So I've, I've always wondered, even from my very early training, why we did a submersion, why it happened in a certain way. Because it, for me, when I swim, I lift off the bottom of the pool or I dive forward, and it's a very gentle approach. And anything other than that that we're teaching isn't truly a buoyant state that the babies would find themselves in if they fell in. So if they don't experiment themselves, anything that the adult does 
would never be true to if we're looking at the parents fear of what might happen we have to let the babies experiment and play because that's what would happen if they truly fell in it wouldn't be how it would have been done in a lesson where the adult controlled the submersion i've always found that fascinating that the, the industry misses out the ascension and the buoyancy and focuses much more on the down which if we're as i say looking at the parental fear of a child falling in would happen without a parent around in the first place anyway so it would never play out in the way that it's been done in a swimming pool thank you so much both of you for coming and talking to us today for sharing your time for sharing your knowledge and for sharing your passion thank you for having us